0: Welcome to med Talks. You've tuned in to our finals countdown series where we're presenting a series of episodes across the medical and surgical specialties targeted at final year medical students as you prepare for your med school finals. My name is Baradwaj and I'm currently a junior doctor working in the East Midlands. This is the latest in our neurology program and today we're going to be discussing a few key conditions affecting the motor function of the body. Motor neuron disease and the two main neuromuscular disorders myasthenia gravis and its lesser-known cousin, lambert eaton myasthenic syndrome. We'll talk about their pathophysiology, typical clinical features and characteristics, diagnosing the conditions and salient investigations, and their management. Let's start then by talking about motor neuron disease, or MND, which, although uncommon and thought to affect fewer than six per 100,000 of the population, can be extremely incapacitating and sadly often confers a poor prognosis. MND is actually an umbrella term encompassing a selection of neurodegenerative disorders that are characterised by a loss of neurons in the motor cortex, cronial nerve nuclei and anterior horn cells. The location of neuronal loss will determine the typical clinical features and give rise to one of the four distinct MND syndromes. The specific cause of MND isn't particularly well understood, although it's thought that increased levels of glutamate, which is an excitatory neurotransmitter, may be toxic in high concentrations, and lead to the production of free radicals and oxidative stress that selectively targets motor neurons. There's also an underlying genetic component, hence the overlap between MND and frontotemporal dementia, which is thought to be due to a specific mutation on chromosome 9 known as C9FTD-ALS. The most common MND syndrome, accounting for 80% of all presentations, is amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or ALS. This is very much your archetypal or classic MND presentation, such that the terms ALS and MND are often used interchangeably. ALS affects both the motor cortex and the anterior horn cells in the spinal cord, and so produces the characteristic upper motor neuron and lower motor neuron signs. The condition is so named because of the underlying pathophysiology. Amyotrophy describes muscle fibre atrophy since the degenerated anterior horn cells are no longer able to supply them. Lateral sclerosis describes the process of upper motor neuron loss in the lateral columns of the spinal cord, which degenerate and are replaced by fibrous astrocytes. ALS is commonly also known as Lou Gehrig's disease, particularly in America. After the New York Yankees baseball player who was diagnosed with the condition in 1939. As we've already said, ALS affects both upper and lower motor neurons, and hence the presence of fasciculations is often a characteristic feature. Other features include muscle weakness and atrophy, foot drop, and difficulties with speech and swallowing. Upper motor neuron involvement may be suggested by spasticity, hyperreflexia, and upgoing planters. Importantly, ALS almost never affects extraocular muscles and eye movements, which is a key distinguishing feature from myasthenia gravis. The prognosis of ALS is poorer if there's involvement of the lower cranial nerves 9 to 12, also known as bulbar onset ALS. MND that selectively affects the lower cranial nerves, that is to say without also affecting the motor cortex or anterior horn cells, is known as progressive bulbar palsy, and has the worst prognosis of the MND syndromes. Progressive bulbar palsy may be further classified into bulbar and corticobulbar or bulbar palsy. Bulbar palsy affects the nuclei of cranial nerves 9 to 12 in the medulla and presents as lower motor neuron signs affecting the tongue and muscles of speech and swallowing. For example, patients may have a flaccid fasciculating tongue with an absent jaw jerk and dysarthric or slurred speech. Other causes of bulbar palsy include Guillain-Barré syndrome, myasthenia gravis, and syringobulbia. Corticobulbar palsy, on the other hand, implicates the corticobulbar tract above the midpons and therefore presents as upper motor neuron lesions and may also be seen in stroke and MS. Unlike in bulbar palsy, corticobulbar palsy may present with slow tongue movements and exaggerated jaw jerk. The phenomenon of pseudobulbar affect may also be observed, which is characterised by emotional incontinence such as uncontrolled weeping or giggling, incongruous with the patient's mood. The remaining two MND syndromes are those selectively affecting only lower motor neurons or only upper motor neurons, and are known as progressive muscular atrophy and primary lateral sclerosis, respectively. Progressive muscular atrophy confers the best prognosis of the MND syndromes and affects the anterior horn cells of the spinal cord, thus producing characteristic lower motor neuron signs. These are typically observed in distal muscle groups before proximal and include fasciculations, wasting and weakness. Primary lateral sclerosis, on the other hand, is rare and is due to the loss of BET cells in the motor cortex, which may present as spastic leg weakness and corticobulbar palsy. The diagnosis of MND is largely a clinical one, although brain imaging is often performed to exclude structural pathology or a lumbar puncture to look for inflammatory or infective causes. The l Escorial diagnostic criteria may be used, which considers the likelihood of diagnosis depending on the clinical features. Diagnosis is definite if there are upper and motor neuron signs in three regions, probable if in two regions, and possible if in one region. Additional lab testing, such as electromyography or EMG, demonstrating denervation may further help to confirm the diagnosis. The prognosis of MND is unfortunately very poor, with half of patients having a life expectancy of less than three years post onset of symptoms management is largely targeted at best supportive care and symptom control and involves a multidisciplinary team approach. The only drug shown to improve survival is Rilidzol, which is an anti-glutamatergic agent, possibly by mitigating the glutamate-induced toxicity we spoke about earlier. We'll move on now to talking about the two main neuromuscular disorders, Myasthenia gravis and Lambert-Eaton myasthenic syndrome, or LEMS. Myasthenia gravis is an autoimmune disease caused by the presence of antibodies to the nicotinic acetylcholine receptors at the postsynaptic side of the neuromuscular junction. Before we move on, let's just throw it back here to a bit of preclinical neuroscience. So when an action potential arrives at the presynaptic nerve terminal, depolarization occurs and voltage-gated calcium ion channels open. Importantly, this is the site of action of the autoantibody seen in LEMS, which we'll come on to later on. The opening of these channels leads to an influx of calcium ions into the nerve terminal, which in turn leads to fusion of the synaptic vesicles containing acetylcholine with the presynaptic membrane. Acetylcholine is then released and binds to the acetylcholine receptors on either the postsynaptic membranes of adjacent neurons, preventing onward transmission of the action potential, or at the neuromuscular junction, preventing muscle contraction. In the case of myasthenia gravis, autoantibodies bind to the postsynaptic receptors, preventing acetylcholine from doing so. This prevents depolarization at the postsynaptic membrane, or end plate potential, and muscle weakness ensues. The classic feature of myasthenia, an MCQ staple, is the phenomenon of fatigability, or muscle weakness on repeated activity, Myasthenia typically begins in the extraocular muscles and extends inferiorly, progressively affecting the muscles of speech and swallow, the neck, shoulder girdle and trunk. Signs include ptosis, diplopia, dysphonia with preserved tendon reflexes and fatigability. Fatigability can be elicited by asking patients to count to 50 with a resultant quietening of their voice or sustained abduction of the arms, leading to patients no longer able to keep their arms up. Sustained tight closure of the eyes may lead to fatiguing of the orbicularis oculi muscles, manifesting as partially open eyes, which is known as the pathognomic peak sign. Myasthenia gravis is commonly seen in conjunction with other autoimmune conditions, such as rheumatoid arthritis and SLE, and there is also an association with disorders of the thymus, such as thymic hyperplasia, Atrophy or thymic tumours. Diagnosis of myasthenia involves identifying the anti acetylcholine receptor antibodies, which may be seen in up to 90% of cases. Anti muscle specific tyrosine kinase antibodies, or anti musk, may also rarely be seen. An EMG may demonstrate decremental muscle response to repetitive nerve stimulation, and a CT thorax may be performed to look for thymic lesions. Unsurprisingly, The aim of treatment in myasthenia gravis is to increase the amount of circulating acetylcholine, which can be achieved through the use of acetylcholinesterase inhibitors such as pyridostigmine and rivastigmine. Cholinergic side effects include increased salivation, lacrimation, meiosis and diarrhoea. Immunosuppressants such as steroids and other disease-modifying agents may also be administered to reduce the length and frequency of relapses. A thymectomy may also be considered even in the absence of a thymoma, particularly in younger patients and in whom medical treatment has been ineffective and has been shown to achieve better symptom control. We'll just briefly touch on relapses of myasthenia in their most severe form, myasthenic crises. These are acute and near-fatal episodes, characterised by sudden respiratory muscle weakness, and often due to a precipitating event such as concomitant infection or medication use. The symptoms of a myasthenic crisis are similar to that of a cholinergic crisis, and therefore may be a worry of over-treatment with acetylcholinesterase inhibitors. Although the doses of acetylcholinesterase inhibitors needed to induce a cholinergic crisis are far higher than are routinely used. Treatment involves prompt escalation to ITU for consideration of early ventilatory support, Serial monitoring of forced vital capacity, and administration of intravenous immunoglobulins and plasmapheresis. Let's finish by talking about Lambert Eaton Myasthenic Syndrome, or LEMS. Unlike myasthenia, which disrupts nerve transmission at the postsynaptic receptor site, LEMS affects presynaptic nerve transmission. LEMS is also an autoimmune condition with autoantibodies against the voltage-gated calcium ion channels on the presynaptic nerve terminal. This prevents the influx of calcium ions necessary for acetylcholine release and muscle contraction. One of the key features of LEMS, often described in MCQs, is that it is commonly paraneoplastic and associated with malignancies, particularly small cell lung cancer. There are several key differences between LEMS and Myasthenia Gravis. LEMS starts distally in the limbs and moves proximally, unlike myasthenia, which starts in the eyes and moves distally. The autoantibodies in LEMS are against the presynaptic voltage-gated calcium ion channels, whilst those in myasthenia are against the postsynaptic acetylcholine receptors. Myasthenia is associated with a thymoma and symptoms are made worse with activity, whilst LEMS is associated with small cell lung cancer and symptoms are made better with activity. Myasthenia is rarely associated with autonomic dysfunction, whereas LEMS may produce autonomic disturbances such as a dry mouth, constipation and impotence. As with myasthenia however, the aim of treatment in LEMS is also to increase acetylcholine, so acetylcholine esterase inhibitors are again commonly used to good effect. It's also important to perform serial chest x-rays or CT scans to monitor for lung cancer since symptoms of LEMS may precede the cancer by up to four years. That brings us to the end of this episode of Med Talks. We've spoken about a few key motor disorders today, MND and the various clinical patterns that fall under its umbrella, and the primary neuromuscular junction disorders, myasthenia gravis and lambert eaton myasthenic syndromes. I hope you found the episode a useful recap, and we welcome your suggestions for other topics you'd like us to cover. Please remember to subscribe to our channel, check out our Instagram page for all the latest updates and head over to our website for more great resources. Thanks!